4: All right, several different things we are tracking for you here as we enter into the final hour of the week here on Outkick. Uh, The big trade with Carson Wentz moving to the Indianapolis Colts from the Philadelphia Eagles. We have been discussing it a great deal. In fact, it is our poll question. you can go vote in it. Uh, let's see. Over ten thousand of you have voted so far this morning. I asked a simple question: Who won the Carson Wentz trade? Sixty-four of you, sixty-four percent of you, are saying the Colts did with Carson Wentz. Thirty-six percent of you are saying the Eagles did with draft picks. Now, I think the Colts won this trade because I understand their path to a uh, playoff berth and/or a championship a lot more than I do the Eagles that doesn't mean necessarily that the Eagles can't end up in a better spot than the Colts but when I see this trade I think to myself okay Carson Wentz best season he ever had before he tore his ACL 33 touchdowns seven interceptions he was on pace to be the MVP of the NFL in 2017 who was his offensive coordinator Frank Reich So nobody probably out there in the NFL has been any more successful with Carson Wentz than Frank Reich has. And he's saying for a third-round pick and a second-rounder that can turn into a first-rounder, I can get Carson Wentz back playing at a high level. Got a great offensive line. We have to find a new left tackle. Yes, Costanzo for the Colts is retiring, but really good offensive line. Jonathan Taylor is a great young running back. Solid defense. This team already won 11 games last year. We were almost good enough to go with Phillip Rivers on the road and beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. We can win with the right quarterback, now we've got him. He's a reasonable cost if they can reclaim him and take him back to high-level quarterback play. $47 million owed over the next two years, which sounds like a lot of money, but isn't that much in the grand scheme of things when you consider what top quarterbacks are making now. So there are lots of reasons, I believe, to be optimistic if you're a Colts fan. More difficult to be optimistic if you're an Eagles fan. The positive for the Eagles is instead of going toward something, you are freeing yourself from something. So the story is different. The Eagles, much like the Rams, gave too much money to a quarterback too soon. The Rams got out of their deal by trading Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions, and now the Eagles are getting out of their deal by moving on from Wentz and trading him to the Colts. But you're moving on from something before you can go to something else. What we don't know for the Eagles is, what's your plan going forward? Are the Eagles going to be committed to Jalen Hurts, and they believe that he is their quarterback of the future as he enters year two coming off of being a second-round draft pick? Or are the Eagles, who memorably tanked on the season to allow Washington to win the division, to move up to the number six overall pick, going with a brand new coach to decide to let him have his pick of the litter. And maybe there is a quarterback at number six overall that immediately the Eagles are going to go to. We just don't know what the Eagle plan to potentially make the playoffs is going to be in the near future. So that is why I think you have to side with the Colts as having the better uh, pathway to, to making the playoffs, having a championship, and or why I believe they are the winner as we sit here in the first morning after this trade has been announced and wait to see what is going to happen going forward. NFC East, by the way, big picture. Don't know what's going to happen with Dak and Dallas. Don't know whether or not uh, with the Giants, Daniel Jones is the answer. Washington, probably not going to be with Heineke and certainly not with Alex Smith for any long-range future. So the Washington football team's quarterback position is wide open, and we don't really know what the Eagles are going to do. It could be Jalen Hurts. They could be going back into the draft. We don't really know much about quarterbacks right now in the NFC East. It's probably, in addition to being one of the worst divisions in football last year, one of the most unclear at the quarterback position going forward in the AFC South. We now have a situation where Deshaun Watson, we're unsure exactly what's going to happen with him in Houston. Uh, with Trevor Lawrence probably headed to Jacksonville, the Jags and Urban Meyer are building towards something more substantial, particularly if Trevor Lawrence is going to be successful. The Titans still feel pretty good, I think, about Ryan Tannehill and where they are going forward with both Derrick Henry uh, coming back at at, uh, running back after going for 2,000 yards, and then also A.J. Brown, number one overall receiver, kind of established, feel pretty good about that if you're the Titans. And then, as we just mentioned, the Colts making a run. They won 11 games last year, lost the tiebreak to the Titans. Feel like, I imagine, that they are getting younger and better at the quarterback position with Carson Wentz replacing Phillip Rivers. Big storyline, big picture. NFL, 2009 to 2016. Think about this. I want you to follow me along here. 22 quarterbacks drafted in the first round during those eight years. 2009 to 2016, 22 first-round quarterbacks. Every single one of them is now on a new team or out of the league. Let me repeat that. Probably a billion dollars spent in total contracts on those 22 quarterbacks. None of them are on the team that drafted them in the first round. That is a staggering statistical data point. Even the people who are supposed to be the best At analyzing the quarterback position, even they fail 0 for 22 in terms of having a big time success on every first round draft pick 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, eight years of data, and they can't figure out what they're doing still 0 for 22 on first-round draft picks. I teased this as we went to break. For those of you out there uh, who are just waking up, you may not have heard anything about this. Positive news. Uh, Wall Street Journal. So first of all, this storyline, uh, the Hall of Fame game in uh, in Canton, Ohio, is saying that on August 5th, they anticipate having a full crowd of fans to go watch the Pittsburgh Steelers play against the Dallas Cowboys. And that that will be the first full crowd for a football game since all the way back to the Super Bowl that was played in Miami over a year ago. So it's still into the future quite a bit uh, in August. But the NFL and I've said this for a while. I think if you look at all the data, every college and pro football stadium, in my mind, should have a full crowd when we get to uh, when we get to the fall. And I think there will be some baseball teams that will have full crowds by some point in July. That's my forecast based on looking at the data. Well, why do I believe that? Because of the data and the story that it is telling us. This morning in the Wall Street Journal, an article that went up, uh, I guess, right after midnight, will have the headline is, We'll have herd immunity by April. And then the sub headline is: COVID cases have dropped 77 percent in six weeks. Experts should level with the public about the good news. Let me give you some of the takeaways here from this article and why it could be so impactful for the world of sports. First of all, people want to know: well, who's writing the who's writing the, the piece? Okay, this is a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's, the, uh, uh, he's a big-time uh, expert, in quotation marks, a doctor, uh, Dr. Macary. I'm not sure if you pronounce it Macquarie or Macary. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, but this is his article in this morning's Wall Street Journal. Uh, and I'm going to give you some of the data. Opening paragraph. Amid the dire COVID warnings, one crucial fact has been largely ignored. Cases are down 77% over the past six weeks if a medication slashed cases by 77 percent, we'd call it a mer- miracle pill why is the number of covid cases plummeting much faster than experts predicted and his argument is in large part because of herd immunity okay and i'm going to give you some of the uh, some of the data that he believes As of this week, he says 15% of Americans have received the vaccine and the figure is rising fast. They think that there will be 250 million doses delivered to 150 million people by the end of March. Uh, That is is outstanding progress as it comes to the vaccine. But there is also a lack of discussion about the number of people that have already had and been exposed to COVID. In fact, this doctor says the numbers indicate that roughly two-thirds of the U.S. population has already had COVID. Uh, And he says, if you consider that in conjunction with the uh, number of people that are getting the vaccine, then we're dealing with, we're finally reaching herd immunity. Uh, In fact, he says the consistent and rapid decline in daily cases since January 8th, which was when cases peaked, can be explained only by natural immunity. Behavior didn't suddenly improve over the holidays. Americans traveled more over Christmas than they had since March. Vaccines also don't explain the steep decline in January because vaccination rates were low and they take weeks to kick in. As a result of all of this data analysis, and we'll have an article up about this at OutKick. You can also, again, go read it at the Wall Street Journal. This doctor says, my prediction is that COVID will be mostly gone by April. That's based on laboratory data, mathematical data, published literature, and conversations with experts. But it's also based on direct observation of the situation on the on the ground right now in the united states and he says that people in america are afraid experts are afraid to discuss the fact that herd immunity is here but that we are rapidly moving towards a end to uh this covid situation really interesting read again i would encourage you uh to uh check it out um, and again, his perspective is that uh, that there are just many, many more cases of COVID that have been experienced uh, than anybody is able to realize, and that's why cases are down, which is an objective truth. Cases are down 77% over the past six weeks since they uh, since they peaked on January the 8th. All right, so that is very much of a positive. It would mean that at some point, if he's right, if this uh, writer in the Wall Street Journal, this doctor at Johns Hopkins, is right, it would mean that full stadiums for Major League Baseball are not that far away on the horizon uh, and that basically this COVID, uh, this COVID pandemic, which has overtaken the country and thoroughly changed the way that sports are played, is going to be a thing of the past much sooner than most are discussing right now okay so that is a a good start to your uh to your friday as we head into the weekend again the data that i'm reflecting and reading from in today's wall street journal as it pertains to uh the 77 percent decline in the overall number of COVID cases over the last six weeks. A couple of these we're going to get to uh, as we go to break here. We're going to be joined uh, by Joe Kinsey, one of my writers at OutKick. This is OutKick,
0: the coverage with Clay Travis.
4: Joe we were just talking about as we went to break you're an Ohio guy and I give credit to the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame they came out and said hey our game on August 5th we expect for it to be a sold out football stadium do you think as an Ohioan that Ohio fans uh, of all sports are ready to be back in uh, by August I I think it's 100% certainty I mean I think every football game is going to be full, but I love that somebody's actually coming out and saying it. As an Ohioan, does this make you proud? This is the first that somebody said, hey, we want a full stadium in a while.
1: Clay, things are getting back to normal here in Ohio. They, they pulled the uh, – the curfew has been lifted. The bars are allowed to stay open until 2 in the morning. Uh, downtowns are revitalizing themselves by people drinking – so, listen, uh, by by August, the end of August, if we're not full, of st- if the stadiums aren't full, something's wrong here. We have fans in Cleveland at uh, Cavs games. We've had some fans at some hockey games. So things are getting, you know, slowly. But, I mean, come on. I mean, the the, the governor of Ohio is signaling that things are in order. And we're rolling along here, and uh, how great would that be if in early August we had a full stadium? It'd be beautiful.
4: Uh, I think we're going to have full stadiums even before then. I mean, I was reading, and uh, and we'll get this up on OutKick, a, uh, a breakdown of the, uh, the doctor who is saying basically, hey, herd immunity is close and not very far away. And uh, if that's true, I think Major League Baseball, and I've been saying this for a while, but I think by July – in Major League Baseball, I think some stadiums are going to be back fully open um, with fans yeah, I present. I agree,
1: absolutely, Clay. You can see, you can get that sense from baseball after they had the uh, the playoffs or World Series in Texas. You could see the you could see the writing on the wall that they're they're signaling they're going to come back. So uh, let's get some spring training going, and then let's fill some stadiums. I'm ready to go.
4: Do you, you're in Ohio where it's been super cold, but it's been super cold everywhere, which usually it's not, you know, in mid-February in Texas, for instance, or Mississippi or Tennessee or some of these places in the South. Uh, pitchers and catchers reporting is like mana from heaven, right? I mean, especially uh, if you're in a cold weather jurisdiction, it makes you feel like, hey, spring is not that far away.
1: Oh, you, you have no idea. I haven't seen green grass in a while, Clay. So uh, it, I will watch the spring training coverage just to see green grass and like sunshine because you know we don't see the sun very often (laughs) here in february and january yeah and so like march rolls around i'm like oh man this is awesome and then we'll get like six inches of snow on like march 28th so you know we we take the little the little wins here and there and by the way now that i see that college football is back this weekend with the fcs I mean, this is this is really starting to uh, all build up here. Like, there's stuff for us guys that don't watch the NBA. I love this.
4: So you're talking about uh, college football. This is a story you wrote about it, I don't think it's getting that much attention. The vast majority of players that are entering the transfer portal in college football are not finding anywhere to go. Only 28% of them so far, and a lot of those guys – have been moving from FBS down to FCS. Uh, In other words, from higher-level college football to a lower level of competition. There just aren't a lot of scholarships to be had, right? And I think this is going to turn into a big story because they basically don't count. This COVID season didn't count for eligibility. You've got a whole new class of freshmen that are now coming in. And so you've got many different programs out there that just don't have scholarships to be able to give out to anybody to allow them to transfer in.
1: Now I'm not a college football, you know, I'm not a big analyst here, Clay, but I can follow the numbers, and they're saying that 25, it, the the they can bring in 25 freshmen. Then you have your six-year seniors, your COVID seniors. You have all these guys that are starting to pile up on these rosters, and there's just nowhere to go in the. And, and so there are now over, I believe it's 125 quarterbacks that went into the transfer portal for uh 2021 120 some quarterbacks like what are you going to do here there's got to be some something has to break and what we're seeing is the transfer portal guys are getting screwed here well it's their own fault in a lot of cases they're looking to go to greener grass or try to find somewhere to go there's nothing available uh yesterday we had joe milton the michigan quarterback he went into the portal. Who knows what's going on in Michigan? They can't keep a quarterback. Now Milton's looking for somewhere to go. These FCS schools, they're in the middle of their season starting tomorrow or some in some cases tonight. So you have chaos in the portal. And who knows where everybody's going to end up? Uh, didn't Tennessee get a quarterback out of the portal, Clay?
4: Yeah, Virginia Tech uh, had a uh, had a player transfer, and uh, and it'll be interesting to see how exactly that transfer process goes. But yeah, there's there there is like, I mean, basically we've reached college football free agency, and I think what a lot of people are going to be surprised by is they're not. I just I don't think there's going to be that. You have to be a pretty proven player in order to be able to transfer and there to be a lot of people, I think, lining up for you because roster management is going to be an absolute mess for so many different teams out there to try to figure out exactly what the roster is going to look like with all these complicating factors. Being of Which, by the way, which side of the equation would you rather be on right now? Would you rather be a Colts fan waking up with Carson Wentz this morning, or would you rather be an Eagles fan waking up knowing that you no longer have to pay Carson Wentz and you get the draft
1: picks? I think it's Eagles. I think they win this, uh, Clay. Uh, Get out of that contract. Get that trouble out of their system restart their restart their team here i mean they they're just like in limbo constantly and uh i, I listen do we know what carson wentz is going to do we know he's going to be healthy enough to last an entire season
4: he hasn't been lately I, that's fair
1: yeah the colts uh i think the colts you know they're taking a huge risk uh you know set their team back a couple couple years if he doesn't work out so give, give me the Eagles, and by the way, I mean what? Who won the NF, uh, NFC East last year? Like you don't need to have that great of a team to win it. So get rid of Wentz and uh, let's go win the win the
4: East. All right, we got a bunch of different stories that you've been working on. Uh, let's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's start uh, let's start here um you you've been writing about all of the uh the use they were like the sirens i don't know what you would call them like the 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 girls in the 90s who were superstars britney spears is back now with this documentary uh but selma hayek who became famous basically because uh she was uh with a snake in from dusk till dawn if i remember correctly uh, goes viral. Everybody is in love with her. She's 53 years old, and she's married to a rich guy. And she's come back on Instagram lately, just firing away.
1: Clay, uh, there's not a week that goes by that there's not a Selma Hayek storyline. The storyline this week is that people are mad at Selma. They think she married her husband, who's not the you know he's not the most glamorous looking dude in the world. They think that she married him for his money. However, they're going on 15 years of marriage. She's telling her haters to suck it. She doesn't want to hear it from her haters. She's she's calling the, the, his name's
4: Francois Henry. But isn't Selma uh, Hayek Henry. super rich herself? Like I don't buy into exactly. Yeah, if you're, I mean, I understand. Like there's a difference between being a billionaire and being a millionaire. But I would imagine that Selma Hayek's life is pretty good from a financial perspective. So I think it's hard to blame somebody or accuse somebody of marrying for money when they're already rich themselves.
1: Right. And would she stay with the guys just for his money for 15 years? I highly doubt that. Uh, Speaking of that, like Larry King, we know that he's been married. He was married seven times. I mean, these women are What did Larry King do in his, his
4: will? Years. I haven't even I haven't even clicked on that story yet, but I saw Larry King who died recently. Like there was a surprise in his will.
1: Yeah, he 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 wrote his uh, his estranged wife in 2019. He was going to go through a divorce with uh, Sean King, his uh, his seventh wife. He wrote her right out of his estate, and uh, there and she didn't
4: she, know. She
1: had no idea until he died.
4: Wow, that is like that's cold blooded to uh, to basically slap uh, slap a uh, an insult on your spouse like from the grave, right? Like, I mean, that is a tough blow.
1: Yeah, she's uh, she's fired up. It was uh, Clay. The estate was two million dollars. I was thinking, Larry, you'd have a
4: little bit more. That's than that. all the money he had.
1: Well, that's the estate. Now, I don't know about uh, trust funds. I don't know about all that. But uh, as far as the estate goes, it was $2 million. She was going to get 300000 She's fired up. She says it's just about principle, She wants her 300000 So
4: It's gonna- wild to me that Larry King could have been as successful as he was in his career. And I understand he had a bunch of different ex-wives, and they probably took a lot of the money and a bunch of kids and everything else but that he would die with only $2 million seems insane to me. I mean, that's a guy probably that was making $10 million a year back in the day, wasn't he?
1: Clay, there was a, he had a huge monster contract back in like uh, 2008, 2009. I don't know. I need to dig into it more, see where Larry's money went, I mean, this that. is
4: this is NBA player like for Larry. I mean, to make as much money as he did, this is like was it Antoine Walker who made like a hundred million dollars and went bankrupt? I mean, this is basically what Larry King did. If he's only got two million dollars left,
1: like I mean, could you imagine? He's he's only splitting up two million. That's it's not you know that's chump change for Larry. Come on,
4: uh, I, it's I, it's, I, it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy story, but she's fired up. She wants her money, and uh, they're gonna, they're going to go to court over it. So, uh, it, it, Larry's it's, not done.
4: Yeah, no, no, no. I've got a bunch of your stories here that I'm scrolling through uh, as well. We're talking to Joe Kinsey. You can go follow him on Twitter at Joe Kinsey Exp if you want to uh, make sure that you follow him as he's breaking down everything. I saw this video. We actually should play the audio of this uh, at some point, but. Uh, in St. Louis, uh, big storm, winter storm, obviously hitting all over the country. Guy goes on a corn dog run for his wife, uh, who asked, said she wanted corn dogs. Risks his life so that he could go uh, find some corn dogs.
1: Yeah, she says that the news station overplayed this a little bit. He wasn't really risking his life. Yes, it was a snowstorm, but she says it was just around the block to go get the corn dogs. Uh, Tom, you know, this, this is guys at their best, right? They want to battle the elements. They want to go out there and see what they're made of and prove that they can go get corn dogs for their wife. Uh, Tom goes out, straps on the work boots. He's out in the elements. He goes to the store, and uh, the news station's right there, and they want to comment. And he's like, listen, I had to go get corn dogs for my wife, and uh, I put my life on the line. And uh, so, great story out there for the guys that do it for their wives. Uh, even if it's something like just a corndog.
4: We're talking to Joe Kinsey at EXP is where you can find him on Twitter. We yesterday on the show had a small business owner from Bristol, Virginia, who lives across the street from the small businesses in Bristol, Tennessee. You wrote up about it. It blew up and really went viral. How crazy is this? And, and I'm positive, like I'll, I'll hit you again with the Wall Street Journal article in the next segment for those of you who don't know it that we're close to herd immunity, hopefully 77% decline in cases of COVID over the last six weeks. All of that is very positive. But when you see that we have these regulations that are still in place, Bristol, Virginia, Bristol, Tennessee, for those of you who aren't familiar with the geography, a street separates the state. So the two states, one side is Virginia, one side is Tennessee. Virginia side, bars and restaurants have to close at 10, 10 p.m., tennessee side uh bars and restaurants are allowed to open until 2 a.m all of this covid policy and its impact on small business i believe much of it has been totally illogical
1: yeah the story here is uh the the guys own a a restaurant there on the one side and they would sit there and watch the customers have to leave at 10 o'clock and walk across the street and Start sucking down beers across the street. They could literally watch these guys in the, in the businesses across the street. So they're asking for the governor of Virginia, listen, let's, let's, get, let's get this stuff opened up. We're watching our competitors kill us here, and uh, they need some help. And also they were saying, I, I went back and listened to it, they're saying, listen, you're, dealing, you're trying to put D.C. regulations on southern Virginia. Come yeah. on, it's, it's ridiculous.
2: So. Uh, Joe,
4: outstanding stuff as always. Appreciate you getting up early for us. Look forward to uh, all the work. What are you working on right now? What's the big uh, screen caps you do to start off the morning? What should we be aware of uh, from from the outkick perspective?
1: Uh, we have a Hooters waitress off, and we have Philly fans saying goodbye to carson wentz as only silly fans can so you don't want to miss that
4: there you go boom it should be up shortly it's one of the best ways to start your morning uh, online at outkick.com good stuff as always my
0: man thanks all right see you this is outkick the coverage with clay
2: travis
4: Final segment, Montel Jordan singing the tunes as he always does for the final segment of the week. And we're finishing the segment, uh, finishing the week in style here with some Animal Thunderdome. Cue the music.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls, I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's here. I
2: had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This
0: is
3: Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny G, what you got for me? All right, prepare to be uncomfortable with this first story. An Alaska woman had the scare of a lifetime she went to an outhouse in Alaska backcountry she says I got out there and sat down on the toilet and immediately something bit my butt right as I sat down what do you think it was Clay?
4: I'm sure it was a snake because this is my worst nightmare. You go to the toilet, next thing you know, you're getting your, you're getting bit by a snake.
3: This might surprise you. Her name is Shannon Stevens. Uh, she told the AP yesterday, I jumped up and I screamed when it happened. Stevens, her brother Eric, and his girlfriend had taken snowmobiles into the wilderness to stay at his yurt. It's kind of like a portable yeah. hut. Yeah. Uh, located 20 miles northwest of Haines in southeast Alaska. Her brother heard the screaming. He went out to the outhouse there he found his sister bleeding they at first thought she had been bitten by a squirrel a mink or something Do they have small? snakes
4: in, in in a lot of snakes oh. in Alaska I don't even know the
3: answer it's to that kind of what I'm getting to because this was not a snake it's too cold Eric brought his headlamp out to see what it was he says I opened the toilet seat and there was a black bear's face just right there at the level of the toilet seat, just looking right back up through the hole, right at me, he said. I shut the lid as fast as I could. There's a bear down there, I screamed. We got the hell out of there, and we ran back to the yurt as fast as we could. Once safely inside, they treated his sister with a first aid kit. Uh, It wasn't too serious, but she was bleeding. (laughs) She got bitten by a bear while going to the bathroom. Yes. Now, this as you can imagine, is unheard of. Alaska Department of Fish and Game Wildlife Manager Carl Koch says, as far as getting swatted on the butt when you're sitting down in winter, she could be the only person on earth that this has ever happened to as far as a black bear for all I know, Koch said.
4: Yeah, that's not, I mean, that's, I never thought I had to be worried about a bear.
3: She says, I'm just going to get better about looking inside the toilet now before sitting down
4: you know yeah that's that's a crazy story i also don't know that the yurt would be very safe from a
3: bear right because they're like bamboo slash wood
4: right i mean they're not like i mean it's like
3: a huff and puff and blow your exactly you would think that if
4: a bear wanted to knock down a yurt a bear could knock down a yurt i'm supposed to go camping in a potentially a yurt with my kids here soon Uh, and i hope i don't have to deal with that at all maybe a tent i don't know there's a dad and son camp out that i've got in a couple of weeks and the thing i'm most concerned about i hadn't been concerned about bears is cold because it's been so frigid the last thing i want to do is be sleeping outside anywhere so that has been the bigger concern for me but that's uh that's pretty terrible by the
3: way they figure the bear got inside the outhouse through an opening at the bottom of the back door they think it was like a little den for the winter time
4: ah it's probably a little bit warmer i guess maybe there i don't know
3: not a very nice yeah you wouldn't think (laughs) all right and then i texted you and roberto a picture of this python yes ah this family in central florida found this huge burmese python literally piled on itself in layers on their property almost 17 feet long oh look at the size of that i thing. looked at
4: the picture of this thing but so this is what's happened in florida there are all these pythons that are just running loose right right about florida
3: yeah it's because of bad pet owners they get these things they get too big and then and it's they warm release enough them. in
4: florida for the pythons not to all die right
3: right and this, this, by the way, is reportedly one of the largest in state history. They euthanized it and found out that it was carrying 100 eggs.
4: 17-foot oh. <laughs> female python with 100 eggs.
3: This guy and his kids, there's a picture. I'll tweet it out at Danny G Radio, and I'll tag you at Clay Travis. They lay a foot to head to show how long the snake is. I, I think not only would you burn the snake and where the snake was i think you would burn the entire property this is
4: the i'll just say this this is the only advantage of a deep freeze like the freeze really didn't reach florida it stayed warm i think relatively speaking in the state of florida but if there were ever a super deep freeze in florida i think the only advantage would be that we might kill a lot of these pythons that are otherwise running rampant i mean because central florida I mean this is up near orlando right yeah i mean we knew that they were like in the everglades and down in south florida but as you move up to central florida if they're just 17 foot pythons just hanging out in the woods i mean that is just absolutely terrifying
3: and if you're wondering the record is an almost 19 foot long python which was caught last summer
4: in florida yes yeah and you know when they supposedly 200 started, pounds now i do think you're right that a lot of snake owners just can't keep up with their snakes and they let them out and everything else but this all really got started in many ways when according to many people hurricane andrew do you remember hurricane andrew back in the early 90s was course, so devastating yeah. in south florida that many different homes and uh, and many different pet stores and everything else just got wiped out and the animals were unleashed into the wild so that is one argument for how all these invasive species including the python became so paramount and so uh, prominent in florida because it's so warm that they can all thrive and live there even if they're not a natural uh, native by the way do you know this i didn't i was reading about this recently i think i've talked about on the radio before the honeybee is an invasive species there were no bees in america they were brought here from europe and they worked their way over the course of hundreds of years all the way across the entire country do you know that no well wouldn't you have thought like the honeybee is just naturally in america no no no. they brought it over from europe it had never been here it's worked its way all the way across so sometimes there's a positive uh, addition to the species Does same it, thing with rats i think <laughs> i think there were no rats in uh, in america prior to european uh, settlers coming here and now they've obviously worked their way across the whole country
3: pretty sure you wouldn't want to collect this but that python carcass was given to python hunter and discovery channel tv personality Dusty Crumb of Guardians of the Glades.
4: What does he do with the python?
3: He must put him up in his cabin.
4: Well, that's weird. I mean...
3: Well, he is a Discovery Channel dude. So.
4: Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it works for him. I have no interest <laughs> in snakes, either dead or alive. Uh, I do have interest in all of you and hope – thank you for the Animal Thunderdome, Danny G. I hope that all of you will download the podcast Clay Travis or OutKick. Search it out. Go give us five stars. Danny G is going to give you some five-star reviews. Uh, gold stars come next week. We'll make sure that we hit that. I hope all of you have fantastic weekends, and I hope you start to warm up wherever you are. Hope things get back to normal from a weather perspective, sooner rather than later. Appreciate all of you. Was expecting to be in Mexico, but had a good time hanging out with you guys instead because I'm snowed in. Double winter storm mornings. This has been OutKick on Fox Sports Radio.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Do you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.